welcome to Wii Universe. This is the show where we are playing every single Wii U game in random order until we are done. And goddammit, we are almost done. Like, I have been kind of in denial about the fact that we have fewer than 10 episodes left of this show. Uh, that's that's uh, kind of a huge deal. We're almost done, and I'm very excited uh, that we've made it this far. Um, Today we are talking about uh, a game called Tokyo Mirage Sessions Hashtag FE. Am I supposed to say the hashtag? I think it's supposed to be Sharp. Sharp FE. Because it's a very musically themed game. Oh, okay. See, that didn't even occur to me. I just assumed, like, it, it seems very trendy and, like, social media-y. So, mm. like, I don't know. It feels like... There, there's the that as go. well. It might it might be a double purpose thing. They wanted this, they wanted this game to go viral. <laughs> <laughs> tag, tag, your, tag your Mirage Sessions. It's like, hey, have you ever had a weird Mirage Session in your life? Post about it with this hashtag. <laughs> I've only had... Uh, I've, I've had Bellingham Mirage Sessions and Austin Mirage Sessions now. Okay. I don't think I had one when I was in Tokyo, but... Uh, let me, you know, let me tell you about... Eternal. About uh, two years ago, I was really, really sick, and I drank a big thing of expired cough syrup, and I had some pretty serious mirage sessions after that. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a good weekend, actually. <laughs> Did uh, they involve I... Fire Emblem characters, at least? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Most yeah. of and, my uh, let, let me tell you, do. they were doing things mm, that nice. they did not do in the Fire Emblem games. Ooh. <laughs> so, yeah. Like uh, Live Forever. Yeah. Yep, That's a big exactly. one. Oh. Uh, well, I am pop superstar Steve Guntley. Hello, I'm Woody Siskowski, whose uh, introduction was just stolen by pop superstar <gasps> oh, Steve no. Cutley. Well, we could so. be pop superstars. We could be the Millie Vanilli of uh, podcasting. Why no, there, not? there can there can only be one. It's like Highlander, except for uh, Japanese idols. Okay, well that's fair. Uh, but which we... is actually a pretty good uh, premise for an anime. Like, if actually, you yeah. had an anime about a bunch of like sexy Japanese pop idols trying to kill each other. You would you would hook in a lot of the weebs. I would I would watch that. I'm not I'm not even full weeb, but I would watch it. <laughs> uh, we are joined today by uh, one of our favorite guests, host oh, of thank you. Game Apocalypse, uh, back once again. It's Michael Raparez. Hi, Michael. Hi, I'm Michael Raparez, and I've also had my vagina bones removed. <laughs> <laughs> it's about I, I, time. I mm. miss that part of the game. Oh, <laughs> did, should we explain that that brief meme please, that please, somebody please. was complaining about the censorship from the Japanese version of this game to the American one? And they, you know, having side by side pictures of uh, Tsubasa, the main character, in like oh. her first concert outfit, and saying, not only did they take out her cleavage, they removed her vagina bones. <laughs> like in the so Japanese are... version, she had a little bit of definition on her pelvic bones, and that got <laughs> taken out. So. <laughs> Well, clearly I played the wrong version of this game. Mm-hmm, you need to go mm-hmm. back and start again. Yeah, Hashtag the- restore the vagina bones. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> thank, thank you for explaining that. I would have been very much in the dark. <laughs> Release the vagina bones cut, I think, is maybe what you were going to say, <laughs> Yeah, Steve. exactly. That's okay. No, yeah. That, I, I think that, that'll happen. We now know that these social media uh, efforts like pay off, so we can actually get this done. Yeah. Uh, so yes, we're we're talking about a uh, a big splashy RPG today. I'm excited to get into it, but of course uh, we have to start every episode with uh, uh, the discussion of the day, and that is what else are we playing right now? Uh, Woody, would you like to go first? I would love to go first, Stephen. Um, Excellent. I'm glad. We, yes, we've gotten so we all... formal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is a very formal show. <laughs> yes. We like we like to uh, put on suits and ties and get dressed up before we go podcasting. Oh, absolutely. Um, well, if there's one thing that you know about me, it's that I love to enter that gungeon. Oh, every, yeah. Every day I like to go in the gungeon, but I've been in there for a long time, so it's finally time for me to exit the gungeon, <laughs> which Exit mm. the Gungeon is a game I've had on my Switch for a long time, and it's never quite clicked with me. It started as a mobile game on Apple Arcade. Um, and then got ported to the Switch, and I could never quite get a handle on the controls, um, but I finally sort of cracked it and got a good handle on it, and now it's to that point that you kind of reach in roguelikes where you just kind of beat them most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's weird the way that kind of happens for a lot of roguelikes. You're like, I can't beat this game at all. This game is impossible. And then you have, like, one successful run, and you're like, oh, now I'll just beat it every time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I've actually I've really been enjoying Enter the Gungeon. It's a or sorry, Exit the Gungeon. Enter the Gungeon is kind of like a good run. And that's going to take 40 minutes to an hour. Exit okay. the Gungeon, uh, about 20 minutes um, from beginning to end and is much more twitchy and requires less sort of 
resource management and planning. It's just like your guns randomly switch constantly and you just blast things that move and jump around, which the game refers to as a vertical dodge roll. Okay. Yeah. I think it's All very right. funny. That's nice. Um, yeah. So if you are like me and, and enter the gungeon obsessive, um, I, I think once you kind of push back that initial barrier of this game being different, exit the gungeon is pretty fun. I have still never uh, entered the gungeon. I've I've neither and en- I've never entered and cannot exit. Uh, I, I think I, I think, think we is... played it together a little bit in co-op. Um, oh, we did. Is... Yeah, like bare, like mm. just for like a few minutes. Yeah, yeah. And one thing that I've noticed, like playing co-op games, sort of like if someone's really excited about a game and is like, oh. I really want to show you this game. I want to introduce you to it. And they like are trying to explain all these mechanics to you and play this co-op mode. It's not a particularly fun experience. Sure. Like, mm. I think that co-op modes don't really acknowledge the fact that games are best learned at one's own pace. Yeah. You know what I mean? We all have different ways. And so if I've played, you know, 200 hours of Enter the Gungeon and I'm like, oh yeah, now you go here. Now you go here and you get this chest and this is the best gun you don't really have a chance to go at the pace that's right for you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. I could yeah. see that. Michael, how about you? What are you playing right now? Uh, well, we're in the midst of uh, game of the year season, so mm. I'm trying to start to get through some of the games that are either just coming out or that I've been putting off. Uh, I played a little bit each of God of War Ragnarok and mm. Pentiment. Pentiment is, uh, I'm liking much better than I expected to when I started mm. to play it because I it's, don't know what Pentiment is. It's So it's on Game Pass. It's by Obsidian. Mm. And it is about, it's a 16th century murder mystery nominally an RPG. It's You're navigating a two-dimensional world that looks like a medieval illuminated manuscript, and it's largely conversation-driven and choice-driven. And uh, one neat feature about it is that everybody, like every class of person that you meet, has a different script that they talk in. And like oh. when characters talk, you're like watching the uh, every letter be like drawn and filled in in like a, a medieval hand. And uh, you're just hearing pen scratches. And then there are certain characters like there's a printer in town. And every time he talks, like you see the letters all laid out in reverse. And then like something swipes over them. And then you see the printed letters. Uh, there's another point where you're talking to this this shepherd and he's speaking in like peasant script. And then it it turns out that he's uh, read like a lot of books and and is actually very well educated for someone of his station. So like the the sentence he was just saying is erased and it's like rewritten in a more educated hand. So it's like it has to do with how your character perceives the other characters. That that sounds like a very, very cool aesthetic. Yeah, it is. It is. And it's it's an it's a compelling story. And you kind of like it's all set in this little village with a monastery and you're kind of getting to learn, uh, you know, what the the secrets of this little village are and who the people are and like who's most likely to have committed this crime is it a conspiracy everyone seems to have a motive for killing this guy <laughs> so <laughs> yeah it's it's pretty cool i recommend pentiment especially if you got game pass that okay. one sounds fun i have to check that out yeah uh, as for me, uh, I've been kind of preoccupied with two different games right now, uh, one of which I've been playing on my Steam Deck. It's called Death's Door, a very Ooh. fun uh, mm. isometric Zelda-style game where you play as a crow that is the uh, servant of death. And uh, it's it's a very interesting little dungeon crawler. It's got a nice steep difficulty curve. I'm enjoying that. And uh, I like that when you defeat the bosses, you have funerals for them, which is like just something <laughs> right, I've yeah. never seen in a game. I think it's like it's kind of it's weirdly sweet. It's like you're laying these like bad guys to rest, um, which is very nice. Uh, and then the other game I've been checking in with is uh, the the adventures of that big old silly boy, that that big old uh, that big old God of War, that that go- oh, like, yeah. that goofball Kratos. Uh, yeah, he's, he's a, he's a wacky Kratos. fellow. He's everyone's like, favorite cut up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If, we, if we know if we know a couple things about Kratos, is he's got a real goofy, fun sense of humor. <laughs> And uh, mm-hmm. he's he's not very serious about himself. He just yeah. likes to lay yeah. down and have fun. Yeah, he's he's moving uh, in this new game. He's like moving into more like observational humor, like Seinfeld stuff. It was all pratfalls <laughs> the first game. Sure. But he's he's exactly. evolving, and it's getting funnier mm. and funnier as it goes. Uh, I'm I'm very much enjoying it. I I'm not too far into it yet. I think I just got into Alfheim, so I've got a little bit to go. Uh, the like it's one of those things I feel weird complaining about because I I feel like I'm I'm hitting the same 
issues I am with this game as I was with uh, the second Horizon game, which is uh, just that it's it's just too similar to what came before, but it's also kind of hard to complain when what came before still kicks a lot of ass and is fairly yeah. recent. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, so it's not like stale or anything, but right now I'm not really seeing this too much as like a sequel, so much as an extension of the first game. But it it's does somewhere between not being stale and not being surprising. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of right in that sweet spot. But it's so well made and it's so gorgeous to look at, and uh, it's still got involving story and characters, and of course all those one-liners, uh, just nonstop <laughs> jokes. Uh, and, and don't forget the uh, the boing sound effects they put in the background, <laughs> the slide whistles, all of that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you get a slide whistle with your blades of chaos and a boing with your axe, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then yeah, then you die, and this trombone comes in. Wah, wah. <laughs> oh, so silly! But the third game I've been playing is a little game called Tokyo Mirage Sessions Sharp Fe. Let's go with Sharp Fe. I like that better. Yeah. It's slightly easier to say because I I hate the, uh, the the saying a hashtag out loud. I think we might be nearing the end of the days when I'll have to bother with hashtags at all. Uh, But we'll see. We'll see. Um, Yes. So let's talk a little bit about this game. Now, uh, Michael, when uh, I was uh, wanted to get wanted to get you on before the show was over, uh, I threw out a couple of titles that we had remaining. That's a better time to have Michael on. I think we get generally more listeners (laughs) Mm -hmm. with Michael while the show is still going on. Yeah. Yeah. People won't won't hear it otherwise. Um, And so I tossed out kind of a list of games that we uh, still had available. And you said that uh, you, you tossed out this one because you said it's been sitting on a pile for a while. Mm-hmm. This is a definite sitting on a pile type of game. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's yeah, got it's... a little bit of that. Um, so, yeah, uh, what's your background a bit with this game and your your experience with it, and why why would it why did it get piled for so long? <laughs> well, it's a lot of JRPGs end up like that for me. Like, yeah. uh, you know, I I, I think I'm going to play them, and then I start to play them. It's like, man, this is an awful lot of chat, and then uh, because of the the work that I do, you know, with my own podcast, I have to play a lot of other games and I quickly move on and a pile develops between me and that game and it becomes forgotten. But that's <laughs> always one that's like, this sounded really interesting, this idea that we're going to try and blend Shin Megami Tensei slash Persona with Fire Emblem and Nintendo's going to make it and it's going to be themed around the music industry and uh yeah this when when you mention it, it's just like you know this would be a good opportunity to head back in and play some more of that and uh you know i i had a similar grounding with the with devil's third when we yeah. talked about that earlier where it's just like you know what i i haven't ever played this but i'm curious i want to give it a chance because are, i know it, it it has its fans and uh this is definitely a game that inspires curiosity because mm-hmm. like based on the title and like the way the box art looks, it's very hard to wrap your head around like or and the premise. Yeah. You're like this is Persona plus Fire Emblem. Like you, you just it, it's impossible to sort of tell someone the name and premise of this game. And you're like, oh, yeah, I get what that is. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. If you say, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm playing the new God of War game, you know, that's developed by Sony and is released on PS5. You're like, yeah. I get it. Yeah. Say no more. Like, and like here, you're like, here's this game by Atlas on the Wii U that combines these two RPG series that don't really play at all alike. No. Um, and it, it takes place in the music, Tokyo music industry. You're just like, what kind of game even is that? Right. It's hard to tell. But I mean, those are the two types of games that get put on the pile, right? They're either like morbid curiosity or oh, I heard this was good, maybe someday I'll have the time. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, kind yeah. of the, the two speeds. And I think this has been on my uh, uh, heard this was good pile for a while too because, yeah, like you, I, I have trouble motivating myself to play JRPGs because they are big investments. You know, every time you have to sit down to play one, if you want to see it through to the end, it's a big investment. But this is a cross-section of the two JRPG series that I show up for every time. So Persona... Which I, I do think, you know, th- technically this is Shin Megami Tensei. I think this plays a lot yeah. closer to the Persona and has more of a Persona vibe. Uh, and Fire Emblem. These are the two series that I will just show up on day one for them uh, and, and play through them all the way to the end. So I was excited to see what they came up with. Um, so but it also has to be addressed that this maybe is the most anime-ass game that we have played on this show. Maybe the most anime-ass game on the entire system uh, yeah. So, Michael, I don't know if we've ever even talked about anime. What's your relationship with anime? Are you a fan? 
Um, I'm I'm sort of an uh, <laughs> an on again off again fan. Uh, okay. I was a huge fan in the '90s when it was like a, a very rare thing to see anime, and nobody knew what it was. And uh, basically, like if anything came to the states, you had to get your hands on it, and you had to like it because you had no other choice. <laughs> and, and now it's it's you know it's it's part of the pop culture landscape. Everybody, you know, a lot of people seem to know what it is. Most people are at least familiar with the style on some level. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And so I I, I don't know. Um, I I kind of go back and forth. I. I'm still a fan of some of it, but I'm pretty picky now about what I do like. You know, I still like a lot of the classic stuff, but like has to be something that really clicks with me to get me to watch more than a couple episodes now. I find anime is is challenging because it seems like most of the sort of outlets or people who are writing or talking about anime are so much in it. Mm, you know what I mean? Right, like yeah. they it, I, I want I kind of wanna I've always feel like I should click more with anime, but it's kind of like when I try to learn about what anime is good, I feel like everyone who's talking about it sort of references other deep anime cuts or certain styles and things like that. And I'm like, and they're like, okay, like what is kind of beginner anime that is still kind of strange and bizarre and interesting but doesn't require a ton of you know backstory or fan service yeah i think i've always been kind of in the same boat but like every time i play a game i sit down i play a game like this or i play a game like persona and then i'm just like so into it and then i'm just like all right mm. so maybe should i just like upgrade and just say okay i am a fan of anime at this point like I never want to sit down and watch it, but anytime I do, like, actually pick a series and watch it, I really enjoy it. So, like, mm. maybe I should just say I'm a fan at this point. I should yeah. stop just burying the lead, you know? Do the kids still I, say otaku, or is it all just weeb now? Oh, yeah, I guess. Yeah. The, I prefer otaku, but, you know, yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. hard case. Out, uh, yeah, you know? uh, otaku, ota otaku <laughs> sounds much less like a slur. Yes, mm. yeah, um, yeah, it's true. I, I, I do think that that is the challenge. There are certain <laughs> things where it's hard to shake this sort of initial assumption. Like if you, if someone asks, like if you talk about how you're into anime, I just feel like that connotes a certain image in someone's mm, mind. Yeah. And it's not, it's not necessarily a bad image. I'm not, no, I'm not like, it just may not problem, necessarily be the image you want to put out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like why I have a lot of trouble, like identifying as a gamer. Like if you're on a dating app, app and they like give you that profile option, you're like, that does describe the way I spend a lot of my time, <laughs> but like I don't want people to think of me as like, oh, this person is a gamer. I yeah, do. but I want the tag that says "person who plays video games." Yeah, you, you don't self-identify as gamer, right? That yeah, that connotes exactly. a whole different set of things. It's like a whole trekky yeah. trekker uh, thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. It should be one who treks. Exactly. One who is experiencing <laughs> trekking. Well, let's jump in and talk about the development of this game. It is called Tokyo Mirage Sessions Sharp FE. It is released June 24th, 2016, developed by Atlas, published by Nintendo, and it was also released on the Switch. So Tokyo Mirage Sessions it, is the rare JRPG that was actually spearheaded and directed by a female developer, which is uh, always cool to see. Uh, this is Kaori Ando. She's a, a Nintendo producer who is a huge fan of the Fire Emblem series. So I guess to just uh, to, to divert briefly into Fire Emblem, this has been one of Nintendo's kind of quiet, quietly biggest series for a long time. It took a long, mm -hmm. it, it took like, what, 12, 13 years for it to finally hit the States. Uh, we got them in mm -hmm. Smash Brothers before we actually got a Fire oh, Emblem yeah. game. Here. So I guess that would have been 2001, and like the first Fire Emblem game is probably from the 80s, right? Like yeah, 1980, yeah, yeah. 1989, yeah, it came out for the Famicom. Yeah. So it was it was it was always a big series in Japan. It just took a long time to find a, a foothold here. And I would argue, like even once Nintendo started releasing the games here, it took a while for them to catch on. I think it was probably the because we had a Fire Emblem per Nintendo series since the Game Boy Advance. But they're all mm -hmm. exceedingly rare and valuable now because, like, not many people bought them. Uh, but once we get to 2012 with Fire Emblem Awakening on the 3DS, I think that's where it finally, like, crossed over in a big way. Right. Uh, it really thrived on the 3DS. We got a lot of Fire Emblem. And now it's actually, like, a legit AAA franchise. Like, uh, yeah. uh, Fire Emblem... What, what's the mobile game? Fire Emblem Heroes? Uh, 
or is that right? Yeah, the mobile that sound, game. That sounds I think so. right. Yeah. I think sounds so. like a game that exists. That is uh, Nintendo's number one mobile game, like far and away. It makes six hundred and fifty million dollars a year. Like it's a crazy phenomenon. And then Three Houses and, came I out mean, a few for, years ago. It's great. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I haven't played the Fire Emblem game much, but I or the um, the mobile one much. But I think to be clear, like that's very much like a mobile collection simulator. Um, more, more than it less. is like a full-fledged fire <laughs> a, emblem a gotcha game, game. yeah yeah, yeah exactly. basically you have very uh, i think i played it a little bit you have very limited like strategy sections but yeah the whole goal is just to collect more and more characters i i would i would describe it as a game where your life is better if you don't play it probably yeah probably <laughs> just make some room for yourself now you know mm-hmm. just go ahead and clear yeah. that out but I just wanted to chart a little bit about the, uh, the the evolution of the Fire Emblem series for a moment. But anyway, Kaori Ando, the developer of this game, wanted to make a crossover with Fire Emblem and another one of Nintendo's franchises, a little series called Pokemon. Ever hear of it? Huh? Okay. <laughs> would have been would have been good. I would have been imagine. interesting, actually. But apparently, and uh, this blew my mind when I found out that this existed. Nintendo axed this idea because it was too similar to a game that was already in development, which has since come out. It is a crossover with Pokemon and Nobunaga's Ambition, and it's called Pokemon huh. Conquest. It's on the DS. Yep. I have never heard of this game in my life. Really? I remember when it came out. It was, oh, man. It was weird. I didn't touch it, but, you know, it was I mean, weird. I noticed if, it. If you could imagine just the two weirdest franchises to match together, like mm. I never would in a million years would have brought out Nobunaga's Ambition. But there you uh, go. We talked about it last week. Steve. Just last week, it's, yeah. It's, um, I the, the description of Fire Emblem and Pokemon, like the the thing that I think struggles with that, obviously, is the characters. Yeah. Like, how do you have you know human characters chatting and then like these Pokemon creatures come in? But like, I would actually, it would be very easy to make and very enjoyable to just have a Pokemon game that played like a Fire Emblem game. Where you just essentially as- assemble a squad, yeah, and yeah. you know you you tactically send out your Pikachu who has some ranged attacks, and like you know because Fire Emblem has those very sort of simple uh, rock paper scissors mechanics, the same Similar way Pokemon. that Pokemon does, and you level up, you evolve into a different class, aka a different evolution. Like that's that's kind of a slam dunk. It'd be a really good fit. I mean, it might be a little yeah. hard when like Pikachu permanently dies. Uh, I think that would mm-hmm. bum me out yeah. whenever that happens. But, <laughs> that's you, know, true. you get attached to your Squirtle. You don't want to see him bleeding out in a field. Mm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that seems like it would be a great idea. I kind of want to track down this Pokemon Conquest game now because it sounds nuts. Um, but Ando went back to the drawing board and she came back instead with a pitch for a crossover with a different RPG series called Shin Megami Tensei. This is another series that's been very popular in Japan. Took a long time for it to get here. I think it was 2003 it first debuted on the PS2 in the US. Uh, and that by then it was Shin Megami Tensei 3. And this is a series that's actually kind of this one's kind of taken off as well, but I think it's most known at this point as the originator of the Persona series. Uh, this started mm. in 1996 on the PS1. The original game was called Revelation Persona, uh, and it basically just adapts the Shin Megami Tensei format, but moves it from like uh, mythical fantasy worlds into a realistic high school setting. That's kind of the the, okay. the hook of that. Of course, there is still mystical uh, ninja weird like magical stuff, but. Uh, you know, but it is slightly more grounded. Um, and the series kind of grew I do from think there. That, I do think that, like, Shin Megami Tensei, especially, like, you know, related to its name, still has a pretty niche reputation. Like, I think most yeah. people oh, yeah. would know the Persona series a lot better, but think of it as, like, oh, that's kind of for, you know, that, that those are kind of, like, nerd, nerd games. Like, those are hardcore sure. things where, like, the uh, Fire Emblem series has just like kind of crossed over into like, yeah, this is just like a Nintendo franchise yeah. and like bunches of people buy it. Um, and it's it's just so bizarre because like I've never played any of the Shin Megami Tensei games, but I know like the Persona games pretty well. Yeah. And like their vibe of like this takes place in modern times and involves like demons and high school angst is fairly far away from i guess fire emblem does also involve demons and high school angst oh yeah but um in Mm. terms of like setting and vibe it feels very different to me 
Yeah. 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 And I mean, it, it, these were the Persona games were kind of controversial from what I remember, because I, I don't know if I don't. Yeah. I mean, I think it still continues throughout Persona 5, but the mechanic is to summon your demon you basically shoot yourself in the head. Oh, that that was Persona Three. That was three. Okay, yeah, yeah that was and, Persona and, Three. And that that one was like, yeah, that that's some pretty clear suicide imagery. But no, the the gun is called an evoker, and that's how you summon <laughs> your persona. Whatever. Uh, yeah, f- four and five don't do that. I I remember four being like, it was much more about like this idea of battling your personal demons, of discovering your shadow self, and learning to accept it, and through acceptance that you gain control over it. Yeah. And then Persona Five was all about like the collective unconscious or subconscious of Tokyo and the creatures that were coming out of it in like this shadow realm. And somebody we we can use this to sort of confront people's shadows in their own consciousnesses and and change their hearts so we can we can make evil people acknowledge the bad that they've done and and, and confess yeah so what it, what it seems like to me is kind of the general theme of the Shin Megami Tensei or Persona games is kind of a sense of like a hidden world like just kind of mm. this coming back and forth and like sort of combining the mundanity of like city life modern city life with like okay there's sort of these feelings and darkness that sort of lie right under the surface and we're just gonna like put you back and forth between them it's like those scenes in blue velvet where they're just at the diner right yeah yeah i mean they're they're super cool and it's funny that like i've played persona 3 4 and 5 which are 100 hour games each and I totally blanked out that, like, you don't use the evoker in four or five, <laughs> even though you spent, like, hours and hours and hours doing that because it does become kind of a grind after a bit. You just, like, stop paying attention to the mm. wild actions that your characters are taking. But yeah. they're they're great games. I mean, they're really terrific. And I think people really started paying attention around Persona 3. And I think by the time we get to Persona 5, mm-hmm. again, we have kind of a soft, like, crossover hit uh, and, like, lots of game of the year contention and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. So all this to say is that uh, Shin Megami Tensei was on the come up. You know, they're a very big uh, series for the 3DS and the DS in particular. So they've got a good, Atlas had a good working relationship with Nintendo. But even still, Kaori Endo, she brought her pitch to Atlas in 2010, and they didn't seem interested. They sent her away. Uh, And then one year later, uh, they called her up and said, hey, do you still want to do that cool idea that you had? And uh, they started working on it. Apparently, the producer of uh, the Shin Megami Tensei looks to Fire Emblem as kind of like the exemplar of what they should be doing. And so he was very excited that they're like, oh my God, we're, we're like peers with Fire Emblem now. This is pretty <laughs> cool. Like we get to do this. Um, so uh, yeah, after three years of development, uh, production began in earnest in 2013. Now early on, they decided that pop music was going to be a major theme of this game. And so they reached out to a company called Avex Group to help them develop the music. Avex Group is kind of responsible for a lot of the biggest J-pop acts of like the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. So that's like, that, it was kind of a big get um, for, for Japan. I, I don't know any of the musicians off the top of my head. But uh, the title was initially announced as Shin Megami Tensei X Fire Emblem in 2013. Better or worse title? <laughs> Probably I would worse. Argue, more direct. More direct. Uh, I would argue better because, like, I don't know. Like, if nothing else, at least the title should tell you what the game is. Yes. Like, and Tokyo Mirage yeah. Sessions is, is so unclear, and it's not particularly a title that even sticks in my head, I, especially I, with the uh, with the hashtag. I feel like yeah. Atlas has a selling point of, like, we're going to give our games crazy titles as like a trademark to our brand. Sure. Like we want to put symbols and hashtags and like semicolons in the title of our games. Yeah. Uh, so people know that it's an Atlas game. Yeah. I think with this one, I, this game has been out for like what, six years at this point. Yeah. And only today did I realize like, Oh, Tokyo Mirage sessions has the same initials as Shin Megami Tensei. Oh, it just does. backwards. So that's, that was probably intentional. Like what can we do with these three letters? Uh, Tokyo Mirage sessions. What the fuck is that? I mean, uh, <laughs> and weirdly, like once you play the game, the title does kind of make sense. Like all yeah, of these are yeah. things in the game. Like there is some context for it, but, uh, it is very confusing at first glance. And and it totally buries the, you know, the fire emblem aspect of the game. Yeah. Like if you didn't already know um, that this included fire emblem characters, 
you honest like I honestly might not have realized it. Yeah. Even in the act of playing the game, because mm. like most of the characters are from Fire Emblem Awakening, but yeah. they look substantially different. Yeah, they all have and... their faces covered in some way. Yeah, yeah, it's it really is kind of this is like the title's apt in that way. This is Shin Megami Tensei with just a hint of Fire Emblem, just a just a mm-hmm. smidge. Like it is <laughs> much more like a Persona style game than it is a Fire Emblem style game. And, and maybe maybe that is better because if the game was called like Shin Megami Tensei X Fire Emblem and you were a big Fire Emblem fan, you might feel a little shortchanged. Because well, yeah, there yeah. To, to be very clear from the beginning, like. Fire Emblem, you know, we know it's a it's a top down tactical game. Yeah. This has none of that. None of that. Zero. Yeah. 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 I mean, maybe you prefer the Japanese title Illusory Revelations FE. I don't know. I don't think mm. I prefer that, but it's it's no. fun to say. <laughs> Illusory Re- Revelations. Uh, so it was revealed finally at a Nintendo Direct in 2015, along with details for a special edition and confirmation that this would be a Wii U exclusive for all that matters anymore. Uh, yeah, this was localized uh, in America, and they did, like you said, Michael, they had to change a lot of content. Uh, they had to censor mm-hmm. uh, the more revealing costumes, and including a set piece at a hot springs, and they also had to age up some of the characters to match yeah. like regional uh, age of consent I, laws. I did notice, like right at the beginning, they they go out of their way to establish that the main heroine is eighteen. Yeah, they, they really say it yeah, several times. Really point on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is still a fairly horny game. Oh, it's extremely that, horny. Yeah, um, like every female character is introduced with like a slow pan up her thighs, stopping on her breasts, and then like jerking up to her face. That happens yeah. at least yeah. twice. And yep. the jiggle physics and- are in play here as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, hey, hey, you do you, Japan. Uh, I mean, you got yeah. you got to know your audience. You got to know your brand. Absolutely. So. No, look, not complaining. I mean- not complaining. It's not even <laughs> like as gratuitous as something like Bayonetta. You know, it's like it's 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 a more restrained <laughs> rendition of Bayonetta. Mm, yeah. But then most things are more restrained than Bayonetta, uh, you know, for for better or worse. Uh, so predictably for a Wii U game released in 2016, this game was not a big hit, uh, not here and actually not even in Japan, uh, because uh, weirdly, like you think that would be more tailored for that. Uh, but it did develop a strong cult following. Many fans call it kind of one of the Wii U's secret gems. Uh, and there was a big fan push to get a switch port, which was released in 2020. It was called the Encore Edition. That includes new party members, uh, some new story-based content, and costumes that are based on uh, more recent games in either of their series. So there's Persona 5, okay. Three Houses, uh, and some Etrian Odyssey costumes in there, If, if in case oh, cool. you're like a hardcore Etrian Odyssey person. Um, <laughs> oh. I, I think I've talked <laughs> about this either. before, but like, um, th- this is just the very specific genre and aesthetic that just attracts people who want to make things into hidden gems and like sure. cult, cult objects and cult fall. It's just like things that are by Atlas and are very Japanese. They just kind of inevitably are like, Oh, that was actually pretty good. And like, everyone's going to kind of take the, their, that person's word for it. Cause not really that many people played it. Right. And like, nor are that even if somebody tells me that this game is pretty good, I'd be like, yeah, great. Like, I'm still not going to play it because, like, this is not the kind of game that I particularly care about. So I'll take your word for it that it's kind of a hidden gem. And after, you know, playing it for this show, like, this game, in the amount of time I played, like, obviously, this is a huge game. It's it's big. It's many, many hours. Um, I don't think it's quite to the same extent as, like, a persona game estimates i saw um, were but, about 50 hours which would be about half the yeah. length of a persona yeah. game yeah uh but like this strikes me as a pretty like middle of the road like yes we know how rpgs work we're gonna kind of make something perfectly functional using our tools of how rpgs work and i i think we might differ on this because i found myself getting super into this game uh i don't know why i i loved the energy of it i loved the colors because well, you love the... anime we established this at the beginning oh yeah absolutely i'm i'm the yeah, biggest yeah, yeah. fan of uh, <laughs> that one anime you know the one i can think of immediately off the top of my head uh astro boy <laughs> that's it uh, yes exactly <laughs> that's true <one>. classic um uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like I say, I always resist the idea of this aesthetic, and then I'm playing it, and I'm just like, 
I'm I'm just caught up in this. I I, I like the energy that they put into the Persona games. Yeah. I like this nice mix of heightened fantasy worlds plus realistic Japanese locations and like this this nice balance between like day and nightlife. This one is is much shallower in in themes than uh, any of the Persona games. Like M- Michael, you were saying, like the it's about like the darkness underneath. It's about reconciling your inner demons with your outer self and learning to find mm-hmm. balance. This is about becoming famous. This is yeah. about how this cool about it is being famous and being about a rock becoming star. famous. And a, a magical hero is going to help you on that journey. That's yeah. that's yeah. it. This yeah. is a, this is every Disney Channel show basically. This is uh, mm-hmm. this is Ghostbusters that. in the music business. It kind of is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, you know, you know, so it's it's feather light in the way that it kind of approaches everything. But I don't know. I think I was just kind of in the mood for something like feather light and fun. And uh, uh, I think it's got some really solid mechanics. The basic story here is that you're playing as a teenage boy named Itsuki uh, and your best friend Subasa gets uh, taken to this portal through this portal into this alternate dimension, which is happening in all the Shin Megami Tensei games. Uh, and it establishes that many years ago, there was what they call a mass disappearance event. Yes. Where a bunch of people mm-hmm. were at a concert, one of them being... Um, Sorry, I already Tsubasa. forgot what the hell was. Yeah. yeah. Tsubasa's sister, and they all just kind of vanish. And so Tsubasa's hoping to become a singing idol so she could track down what happened to her sister. Yeah. And so you need um, to go into this alternate dimension, which is eventually called the Idolosphere. And uh, you have to fight all these monsters and collect this energy called Performa. Uh, and while you're in there, <laughs> you meet these ghosts that are called Mirages. And you're able to tame some of them using the Performa in your soul. And they turn out to be the ghosts of old Fire Emblem characters, which, again, makes sense because these characters die. Um, <laughs> and uh, they they join forces with you to become, like, kind of Super Sentai and all-powerful, and uh, you chop stuff up. And then yeah, it's very, in your it's very downtime, Power Rangers. Yeah, very yeah. Power Rangers. And then well, in your downtime, you, always... you just become a, uh, a pop star. It, it is weird in that first scene, like the characters just somehow instinctively know to yell carnage form. And then they, <laughs> they transform into the hero versions of themselves. I'm not making that up. That is part of yeah. the game. I like to think that they just walk around saying that all the time. And they're like, Holy mm-hmm. shit, something finally happened. Like I've been yes. saying this since I was five. Well, like like the, thought the, it was crazy. It, it's not just that you, you ally with these ghosts of fire emblem characters that they actually take the form of your weapons. And those weapons are called the carnage form. Yes. And it's like that is. And so you have to perform something called a carnage unity to every time you want to equip a new weapon. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this really, it really is just kind of like a little bit of light fire emblem flavoring. Like these, mm-hmm. these mirages could be anything. I mean, these, this could be yeah. like the ghost of Pikachu. This could be the ghost of, uh, you know, Betty White. I don't know. It could be anything. And, uh, it, you know, but it just happens to be Fire Emblem in this case. And Fire Emblem, for those who haven't played it, has hundreds of characters from throughout mm. the series. I think most of the characters here are from Awakening, but I think there are some from the very first uh, Fire Emblem game that only recently got uh, re-released here. Um, and I, I have I have mixed feelings about this in the sense that, like, I always, you know, at, when you're in the process of playing a Fire Emblem game, most of the characters are fairly one-dimensional. Like, you have, like, the super shy girl, the mm-hmm. super, like, cocky, cocky guy, like, the super bookish nerd, mm-hmm. like... Um, but I, I don't mind that within the game itself, but then like, if I haven't played Fire Emblem Awakening, you know, in six years, I'm not going to remember like the specifics of each of these characters and what they're kind of like. And so having them kind of merge with your teenage characters here doesn't necessarily impart a lot of weird personality. Yeah. Like I, in some ways with this premise, it would have kind of been more fun if they could sort of invent weird goofy ghosts that like kind of were more diverse and came out of nowhere because this is just like yeah characters have a spear they have a sword they can cast magic um it's like a, a sort of like a super smash brothers form of this type of game where like oh you've been inhabited by the ghost of solid snake and now you're yeah. throwing you know grenades or rocket launchers and this other person is like the ghost of Master Chief, and you're running around with a ne- with needler themed abilities. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I, it, that might and be it's fun fine. Too. It's just like, yeah, yeah, it's just I'm not sure that 
I think that the Fire Emblem vibes don't really shine through in this game. Yeah. I mean, as someone who loved Awakening and played it years and years ago, like I remembered Krom and Tharja. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that like Tharja is paired with like, you know, this super successful, super confident pop idol that Tsubasa, the, the main heroine, just completely worships. And but then Tharja is like, oh, yeah, that's right. She's like the hot wizard girl who's also like a, a creep. Yeah. Like she's introduced just staring at you from from behind some bushes. And like, <laughs> do I have to talk to him? Can't I just stare at him? I'm like, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a nice dichotomy. I like that yeah, they like pair but, those two. And like same way, like Itsuki is paired with Krom, who is like the more mm-hmm. heroic type where Itsuki's just sort of a limp noodle of yeah. a guy. I I don't remember Kane or uh, I guess it's pronounced Shida in the game. It's, oh, it's yeah. spelled like Kaida. Yeah, I don't remember the, them. The I Pegasus think, Knight. Yeah, I, I think they were from that very first well, game. Yeah. The problem with those Pegasus Knights and Fire Emblem is they kind of suck because you <laughs> use them and then they immediately get shot down by archers. Yeah, and you're like, mm. oh, I'm never using that character again. Yeah, basically, basically. <laughs> right. Yeah, they're 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 only useful once you upgrade them to dragons, and even then, they're not even all that useful. Uh, but yeah, so the this has a pretty simple battle system, I think, which I can actually appreciate. Like, yeah. I, I like things yeah. being fairly straightforward with uh, uh, RPGs. I think the big hook with this uh, battle system is what they call sessions, and that's where we fill out the title. We take place in Tokyo. <laughs> We're fighting mirages with sessions. Uh, and it's basically like all of your attacks are kind of themed around music. So when they're showing your music, they'll say like artist and then your character's name of whoever's executing mm-hmm. it. And so a session is like a jam session. Everybody's working together and beating on the enemy at the same time. If you target an enemy and they have a weak spot to one of your uh, abilities, then that attack will just keep going. Like your next character will attack and your next character will attack and you can score a lot of bonus damage. And that's yeah. But like you have to chain these specific skills like... You know, the first one you get, you you start with, like, a lightning bolt attack. Mm. And then your other character has, like, if you hit your enemy with a lightning bolt attack, then you trigger this sort of bonus skill. Um, so I do think that that works well from a strategic way of, like, thinking about how these kind of combine. And it also encourages you to try different attacks on your enemies to see what they're weak to. Yeah. Uh, but I do, like, it is, like, a very simple system it's satisfying but simple yeah Yeah. and it it lifts a lot from fire emblem also because it has like Mm -hmm. the weapon vulnerabilities where like uh what is it spears overpower swords overpower axes overpower spears i think yeah i'm probably wrong about that order but uh you you got it right it brings that over and and it brings over the shin megami tensei uh spells like bufu is the freeze spell Mm -hmm. and uh zeo is the the lightning spell stuff like that yeah, it, I think it's it's a nice blend in that way. Like, if we're not going to get overworld tactical battles, then at least we're bringing in mm-hmm. at least that rock, paper, scissor mechanic, which I think always worked really I, well. I had a lot of trouble, and I don't know if you guys... I didn't like the way the camera was in these battles. I, I find it very odd. Like, when a battle starts, rather than, like, a Final Fantasy where it will kind of pan and show you mm-hmm, the enemies mm-hmm. that you're fighting, it will just cut directly, like to like a i'm looking at our skype call right now it's like essentially this same angle of me like looking at steve's face and i'm like great i can see what's behind steve but i can't (laughs) see what he's actually looking at yeah it's a pain it's Um, not until you select your first action that you actually get to see what you're fighting yeah it's a little disorienting yeah and you're like oh i'm actually fighting this other enemy and so i want to do this other action um and it kind of every time you're in the menu that is the camera angle you get and so you never quite get a sense of like um this is a big army that i'm fighting um it all just seems very sort of pushed in right at your character yeah and the arenas that you fight in are always the same like regardless Mm. of where you actually encounter your enemy like the battle screen is this giant arena yeah it's like uh, it's like a stage yeah yeah with with a a big cheering audience yeah yeah which, which is fun i like that but um it gets repetitive. For a game yeah. that requires you to be, you know, in lots and lots of battles, it would be nice to see different environments. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, I, oh, yeah, go ahead. You, you, get the, you get the scrolling ticker that says where you are, like Shibuya 106 or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And that, that is what Shibuya 109 is called in the game, just in case anyone's, you know, 
trying to call me on it. And and that's <laughs> that's a cool thing that they do too. Is like yeah, like like I said, most of the overworld is just uh, Tokyo. You know, you get to go to real places in Tokyo, including Shibuya. Mm. And uh, they base the dungeons kind of around roughly what these are. So Shibuya 109 is like a department store, right? And so like yeah, yeah. the inside of that dungeon looks like a department store with like uh, a bunch of mannequins and things like that. Um, so I like that they kind of build it off of these real locations. Um, you know, so the game is kind of split between combat where you're like in this idolosphere, you'll level grinding, you're, you're fighting all these enemies. And then it's these... mostly just a series of tubes in the idolosphere. <laughs> yes. it, I, I never, I never really got the sense of like, this is going to open to some very wide exploration. Like I just finished playing Elden Ring and like the dungeons in that game are just like mammoth. Yeah. And like, there's so many ways to get lost. And here you just have a fairly straightforward map of like, all right, I've already been to that area of the tube. I'm going to go to the other side of the tube. Excuse yeah. me, well, it's I mean, not tubes, it's dresses. You're crawling into yes. women's dresses. <laughs> that is that is really weird, that whole mechanic of, like, the, the puzzles in that second dungeon mm. are these gigantic maid costumes, yeah. and you can find these switches that let you adjust the height of the arms to, like, use them as a staircase to different floors. Yeah. And it's and it's weird, and it requires a lot of back and forth, and like, okay, and, and that's another thing, that I kept getting interrupted, just swarmed by enemies, and after every fight, it's like, wait, what was I doing oh right i was going to flip that switch and then on the way to the switch i get ambushed again and uh and i mean you can use like you can swing your sword to stun enemies that before they can touch you strike mechanic that's in paper mario or something i I appreciated that mechanic because like sometimes you know the most annoying part of most jrpgs is just like nonstop random battles you know like you're just trying to get from point a to point b and you're being interrupted all the time. At least in this case, you have a chance to defend yourself. You know, you can mm-hmm. you can swat them away, or you can choose to pick on them while they're down, or you can just leave them alone and like move yeah, on with your business. Yeah, just like yeah, get out of my way. I'm going to go to what I was trying to do. Yeah, which I like. I appreciate yeah. that. I mean, like, I know it's important to grind in these games, but sometimes you just want to accomplish your goal. For sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Especially because I was just like, these these types of games are always the hardest to talk about on this show because. They're always like you're never really gonna crack it open until you've put in a couple of hours at least. I I think I mm. I paid like six hours of this. Uh, I got mm. up uh, to the I beat the first level and then I beat like the first intermission. So in between the idolosphere levels and like the story based sections, you have these uh, intermissions and this is where you can walk yes. around the city, explore at your own leisure, uh, buy things or help your party members kind of build up their entertainment careers. Uh, that's Those are what all the side <laughs> stories are taking part of. So, like, uh, the side quest I did with Tuma was helping him become, like, a, like a Sente ranger type in a TV show. Like, he was auditioning mm-hmm. to play the villain in Not a even Rangers on a, thing. a TV show. He's auditioning to be a villain in, like, a stage show for kids that he gets oh, really yeah. amped up about. It's like like Panto Theater or something for, for <laughs> you Brits out there. Okay, see, uh, I didn't even I, I didn't even recognize that it's just theater. I assumed it was just kind of like some weird live audition process, but, like, that that's even funnier. Like, that's even yeah, a better yeah, goal. Yeah. And, and that is also in that intermission is where I found out this game does not autosave. And I found that out Mm-mm. the hard way because yeah. I did uh, Toma's mission and then I did uh, Tiki, the... The weird little girl who's probably a thousand-year-old dragon or whatever who yeah. insists on calling you big brother, and even the game acknowledges that this is creepy. Yes, uh, but she she has like a test. Like, go find uh, Tiki is my waifu. They're this yes. mega uh, composer using the, this Vocaloid software of me, and uh, so you have to go and find it. And then like ran into a powerful enemy, did a whole party wipe, and it's like, oh, welcome back to the start of the intermission. Oh. Um, Oof. Yeah, that, good, that's good thing you can skip a... all these cutscenes. Yes, that is a 2015 game RPG that's not going to autosave for you. Is, yeah, that's pretty bizarre. That's pretty rough, um, and it's one, just something you completely fall out of the habit of doing. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. absolutely. What well, one thing I was pretty disappointed by in this game, and it's not usually a thing that I care that much about, but like for this game being a Wii U exclusive, the gamepad really is not well used, like to the point of almost being annoying, like. During cutscenes in this game, the gamepad will just be this bright white. Oh yeah. And so like I was playing at night, um, and like I you could only play on the TV. Right. There's no there's no on gamepad play, and so like I, I'm holding the gamepad in my lap, and like this bright white light <laughs> is shining into my face from below, and I'm like, look, if you're not going to show anything down here, at least make the screen dark. Yeah. 
Right. No, that I could um, see. That I could see. I, I actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought some of the uses of the gamepad were pretty clever. Like, basically, uh, the gamepad is treated like your own mobile device. So if you're getting texts mm-hmm. from characters, they're going to appear on the gamepad, and you can kind of just check them. Like, most of the time, they're not things that you need. It's just uh, uh, your party members, like, sending you stickers or saying something But you cute, can't but... advance the story... Like the the, yeah. the thing, the action on the TV stops. Yeah. And they're like, look yeah. at your gamepad and advance it. And the only way to advance it is by touching it, which also is, again, kind of feels weird and unnecessary to me because I have to take my hands off of the buttons yeah. and mm-hmm. like tap this specific area of the gamepad. It just felt like kind of an addition that didn't need to be there. I do and wish the buttons worked, yeah, because it is kind of yeah. a small little bar that you need to tap, and I've I've got these mm-hmm. manly manly hands. It's uh, it's incredible. Exactly. Yeah, for uh, this for this kind of game, like that is a lot of just kind of grinding. It also strikes me as one that's nice to have in a more handheld form. Yeah, because um, this is the kind of game you can just you know, play through a dungeon, not that they're particularly short, but you could probably make it through um, a dungeon in an hour, an hour or less. Yeah, yeah, And I think just so. kind of level up your characters, do a side quest. And so the fact that it all has to be on the TV, I think is kind of a drawback. Yeah. Yeah. For what it's worth, though, I do like the texts. I think that they're, yeah. they're kind of where the localization in this game really shines because it's like these are all like believable things. Like Tsubasa keeps texting you with just, ah, <laughs> just the letter A repeated. Like, what? <laughs> like, ah, I forgot about this test tomorrow or yeah. uh, I'm so nervous about this audition, whatever. Yeah. No, it's this, cute stuff. And I, I like yeah. that, you know, this game is so very specifically japanese i like that they didn't yeah. try to make the like an english dub or anything like that and they don't try they don't like... even bother um they don't even subtitle a lot of kind of the dialogue that's going on in battle no like what yeah. your character says and victory or things like that that always bugs me a little bit especially like yeah. if there's just random barks during gameplay i kind of like they're there to convey some sort of information they're not purely there for flavor right so i kind of want to know what they're saying yeah but yeah. uh but yeah for the most part uh, it is it is kind of cool, even if that means you get an American character named Barry Goodman, yes. who speaks with that sort of like it's it's not Hello, quite as my bad. Name is Barry Goodman. <laughs> yeah. It's it's more like he just speaks Japanese with like a vague accent and peppers it with lots of like really mispronounced English phrases. Yeah. <laughs> like, just... Hey, come on. Uh, <laughs> but. Uh, but he, he like to their credit, they don't do that thing that I see in a lot of, well, just just anytime you've got a character who's supposed to be American in pretty much anything foreign language, they always seem to have not an American speaking in an accent, but somebody trying to like speak their native language, but like with the worst Texan accent you've ever heard. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I think that's Godzilla Dash. <laughs> that's just synonymous with America. That's the the American accent is uh, is mm-hmm. southern. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. No, but I, I appreciate that they didn't try and westernize it or dumb it down for anything. You know, it's like, and I think the Persona games are really good about that too. It's just like here here's a nice like blast of Japanese culture. Just like get on board with it. It's going to be super fun. I I just yeah. I mean this this is definitely like if you look at this game and you're like that game excites me and like looking at the box art and I feel like I would be into this, like just look at some screenshots. Cause if you think you'll be into this game, you probably will be. Yeah. Um, mm, because yes. it is very Japanese. It really leans to that aesthetic. I look at these screenshots and I'm like, not for me. And then after playing it for a few hours, I still kind of the, not for me. Like, I think that it is a well-designed RPG, yeah. but like the, the vibe and aesthetic just doesn't really excite me. And that's fair. That's fair. I, I think the, the aesthetic really worked for me. I, I just really, I, I love the color palette here. Like, I, I love that when you're walking around the overworld, all the NPCs are like this neon pastel, like shadow. Like, it just makes I the like whole game look too. so vibrant. I think the costume designs of like the character fusions are really smart and really clever. Uh, you get some amazing stuff later on, like a dragon fighting a motorcycle. Like, I don't know. It's just mm. it's really over-the-top goofball stuff. And, I mean, again, we need to shout out the music here because this is a game very much based around Japanese pop music. If that's your thing, you are going to get a great fix of that here. I think it's all really high quality. There are some fun, like, music video cutscenes that you get uh, as you dig a little deeper into the story. Um, and I think it just... 
it has this really peppy, like upbeat kind of vibe to the entire game, which is not something you usually see in JRPGs, which are usually so much about like preventing the end of the world or, or uh, averting sadness or things like that. You know, this is this is very poppy. It's very lightweight, and it's it's just kind of it was very fun for me the entire way. I was really getting into it. And I think that's a smart way for them to approach it. Anything that's going to be kind of a crossover between two franchises has to be like, all right, we know that this doesn't matter in any of the canon for either of these franchises. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's just have fun with it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It, it's going to be separated from both of those. And like, you know, nobody's really going to get too terribly upset about uh, anything that's going on here. Well, that's not true, because as we learned from Michael right at the bones. beginning, people got, you know, <laughs> Steve, bones. in the world, one thing that I don't think you can ever say is that nobody's ever going to be too upset about. Well, that's fair. People blank, will, fill in the blank. People will find things there'll to There'll be, be someone who's going to be upset about it. <laughs> <Yes>. mm-hmm. <laughs> There's always going to be something. There's always going to be something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I don't really have too much else on this game. Do you guys have any final thoughts or anything else you want to get in? I had a question that I feel like I don't. I it's probably a stupid question, but like there's there no, no Tokyo Mirage set. Yeah, there's no game called Tokyo Mirage Sessions, right? This isn't some no. sort of port of something else no. or a sequel. Um, it just has that hashtag Sharp Fe. That and does kind of um, make it confused. It makes it feel like this is yeah, uh, the the Fire kind of Emblem version, version of yeah. No, but there is no yeah, other, yeah, yeah. which is all. Which is also confusing because there is now a Switch version of this game, which, like you said, adds new features. Um, and I, I, yeah. I imagine that with that sort of on um, handheld feature, the Switch is probably the way to play this. I just, I don't know, like for games like this, I feel like I really, really want that gamepad to just be a super easy, big font, close to my face, stat like menu icon like here to access the menu just to like cast heal on your characters you have to pause it enter this other like full screen like colorful Mm. menu and then select skills and then select heal like i just want like that to me is sort of the bread and butter of the wii u Mm. is having something that i can just look down and immediately access yeah um, which i loved so much in wind waker and for a game like this to not have anything like that kind of bum me out. I can see that. I mean, that's a that's a that's a pretty good point. I think that does feel like a bit of a missed opportunity because I think you could have done both. You could have done the yeah. the text from your friends on the second screen, and you could have had a heel screen. You know. Yeah, and because the font, and you know, I, I'm just going to complain about this ever because I'm forever because I'm just an old man now. <laughs> the font on the TV is too too fucking small. Yeah. Like your characters mm. level up, and like you have these numbers off to the side. It's oh man. It does play that Fire Emblem level up sound. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, when you love right. that yeah, sound, yeah. like right, that's right up there with the Zelda opening a chest sound for just giving me that endorphin that's hit just a of nice your character hit. Yeah. leveling up and, and seeing those little arrows go, bring their stats up. Oh, I do love that, it. I do love yeah. it. Yeah, yeah but no, I, I'm I with... think I. I think I was about like three or four weapon changes in when I realized like, oh, the weapons have different attack stats. Like that would be normally the first thing I look at. But because it's Fire Emblem, my first priority is like, what skills am I going to learn from this? And so I'll just pick this next and master all the skills and then move on to the next weapon, whatever it is. Right. Oh, yeah. uh, I forgot that's kind of a Fire Emblem thing, too. Like using a a weapon to like learn skills from it and then you can... You could max out your weapon and then you'll need to upgrade mm-hmm. to something else, which is a good way to keep you like moving through the system. Yeah, there's that unity system, too, which is a big it, mm-hmm. kind of a confusing system at first. But basically, it's just like use resources to buy passive skills or new weapons. That's basically it. It's kind of you get this very elaborate like fusion animation every time you do that. Yep. which You can skip gratefully because thankfully and instantly skip and instantly like, no, skip. no yeah. wait. Which is very yeah. nice because those are fun, but they're not fun to watch 30 times in a row because you're going exactly. to need to upgrade those things a lot. Um, but that's a, I think that's a good system. I think it works well enough. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, had a, I had a delightful time with this game. I really enjoyed it. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm going to be one of those Jags who's calling it a secret gem on the Wii U. Hmm. I'm, I'm doing nice. it. I'm putting my chip down. 
Yeah, Fair I mean, enough. If, if not you, then who? Yeah, yeah then somebody <laughs> else. Somebody. I'll, I'll second that. Like, I, yes. I enjoyed this a lot more than I expected to. Yeah. And nice. um, it, it I, I mean, I wouldn't quite say it's one of those games that, like, oh yeah, this is why I used to love JRPGs and play them all the time. But it is a lot more fun than what I've, you know, mm-hmm. more recent JRPGs that I've tried to play. Yeah. So it's right. it's yeah. a little snappier combat... paced too. I think mm-hmm. you know it's it it, it yeah. moves it moves. Yeah, yeah. Not, nothing about it really feels like a chore. No, no. Which is which is a, a good thing to say about any JRPG. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to our rankings and see where we actually landed on this. Each week we are adding the games that we just played to our master list, and uh, eventually we're gonna we're gonna do a whole combined list, and we're gonna average them out and see what the whole master list is gonna be. Uh, I will go first on this one. Like I said, I'm putting my chip down. I'm putting this in the top ten. This is my number six. This is uh, wow, going right. Wow, goodness me. Mm-hmm. I, I am shocked. I really dug this game. I don't know. I, I got really into it. It just uh, Maybe I just needed this nice little dose of happiness, but uh, it's just a fun, pleasant game that everything works well. It looks great, and it has some original ideas that I really enjoyed. So this is my number six going underneath Smash Brothers and above Arkham City Armored Edition. Wow. Well, um, I mean, just based on your enthusiasm, I've moved it up a little in my list because I'm like, oh, I Number can't be one. that divergent. <laughs> um, but and I, like to be clear, like I like this game. I think oh, it was yeah, fun. Yeah. Like if this was a game that I would own, I would happily play more of it. But it's also in a weird spot of like it's probably not at the same level as like your average Fire Emblem or your average Persona game, which are as discuss you know, 50 to 100 long hour long games yeah um so just the the situation where like this is the game that you want to reach to seems a little odd to me sure but if you're really in if you if you're really excited by the premise and aesthetic of this game i think it'll deliver um i'm gonna put it at number uh 39 which is right behind New Super Luigi U and ahead of the dark siders games okay all right that's wow. not a bad spot not a bad spot uh, and Michael, I think your only other game was the Devil's Third, so this is <laughs> this is well behind that one, I assume. Yeah, I yeah, almost put it course. behind Devil's Third, but I'm like, oh, I can't do I can't do it in front of these guys. These are guys uh, with taste and refinement. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you have a have a uh, uh, an unusual affinity for Devil's Third that I don't quite uh, understand. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I'd put it um, behind Devil's Third. I, I would say like if I were keeping a conscious list of Wii U games, this feels like something that would be lurking around the periphery of the top 10, like just yeah. inside, if not just outside of it. Um, yeah, it's upper tier. I yeah, think it's, it's definitely, it's, you know, if, if you own it, a Wii U and haven't played this game, I think it's worth checking out. Yeah, it's it's much better and much more fun and more engaging than I expected. So uh, kudos to Tokyo Mirage Sessions Sharp FE. You did it. You did it, <laughs> team. You're, uh, you're one Sharp FE. Well... <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for listening. And, uh, Michael, thanks so much for making time and coming oh, thank in you. and uh, uh, talking about this goofy game with us. Where can people find your stuff? Uh, people can find my stuff every week at vidigameapocalypse.com, which, by the way, is back up. The site was not yes. working for a couple weeks, even though we were still delivering shows. You got, uh, you got overwhelmed with listeners. Like, everyone mm-hmm. at once decided, we got to check out this Vigigame Apocalypse podcast. Yes, yes. The site went down. Got to do it. it, it just terrible, just like Twitter's about to do, probably. <laughs> uh, but we, um, so every week we do a top five around uh, various video game themed topics, and then we go into uh, new releases and news and other stuff, as I'm fond of saying. And uh, this this last week, actually, I'm not sure when this show is going up, but we did just do a games that are still stuck on Wii U that have not been given that lifeline and pulled onto the switch, um, which I ran by you, Steve, just to, to get your blessing because it was too weird to not have you involved in that in some form. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm You're like I the, the spoil... biggest Wii U expert. I know <laughs> I, I won't spoil the list, but uh, yeah, mm. I think, I think you, you stumbled on the, the handful of worthwhile ones that didn't get the lifeline. So uh, yeah, I think, I think it's a solid list. De- oh, devil's you. third right devil's that's, third. That's, it's, that's, it's just devil's one. third five yeah. times yes that's it yeah exactly <laughs> that's all you need that's all you need well definitely yeah. check out video game apocalypse it is the best uh, uh well, michael thank thanks again for coming on uh be sure to be sure to tune in next week we have 
a triple feature of adorable Nintendo mascots. We're kind of lumping them together because we've talked about all of these games or the characters individually. And now let's just have a cuteness overload. Why not? We're going to talk about Yoshi's Woolly World. We're going to talk about Kirby and the Rainbow Curse. And we're going to talk about Captain Toad, a treasure tracker. Nice. That guy tracks treasures. Yeah. He's a good dude. Uh, I'm excited about all these games. Yeah, these Rainbow Curse like... was unexpected. Like, oh man, I didn't realize this was like a claymation Kirby game. That's so cool. Oh wow, I didn't yeah. see. I didn't. That's the only one of the three I have not played at all. But I've I've spent oh, wow. quite a bit of time with the other two, and I enjoy them a lot. Spoiler alert for the next episode. <laughs> but it's going to be a whole blast of adorable Nintendo characters. You don't want to miss it. Uh, and yeah, like we said, fewer than 10 episodes left. We're almost there. Uh, so definitely tell your friends about us. Uh, I would say, uh, again, I'm not going to... Tell them it's a low commitment at this point. It's a low commitment. <laughs> they have to listen yeah, yeah, yeah. to eight episodes. But also, like, we've got a couple hundred other episodes you can listen to. They're, they still exist. They're still out there. Um, so thank you, everybody. We will see you next week. Bye. <laughs> どこか見えた